some length, and uh, you are going to be thrilled on June the 6th, that weekend, to meet him and his family, and uh, we've been waiting a long time for this, haven't we? Uh, but God, in his wisdom and providence, has brought this committee to the right person at the right time. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 1. There are passages for me that are defining, that have uh, become markers, if you will, almost Ebenezer stones for me in, in my ministry. And any time that I get uh, confused or a little uh, bewildered by life, I, I go to some of these passages. And one of these is Jeremiah chapter 1. I'm, I'm going to talk more specifically to the graduates in the second service, but the message today is for all of us. And so I'm going to read Jeremiah chapter 1, the first uh, ten verses. He said, the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests living in Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the thirteenth year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. It also came throughout the days of Jehoiakim, son of, of Josiah, king of Judah, until the Fifth month of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile, the word of the Lord came to me. I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. But I protested, oh no, Lord God, look, I don't know how to speak since I'm only a youth. And the Lord said to me, Do not say I'm only a youth, for you will go to everyone I send you to and speak whatever I tell you. Do not be afraid of anyone, for I will be with you to deliver you. This is the Lord's declaration. Then the Lord reached out His hand and touched my mouth and told me, Look, I have filled your mouth with my words. See, today I have set you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and to tear down, to destroy, and to demolish. The phrase, the word of the Lord came to me, came, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came to me, is used 73 times in the book of Jeremiah. It's more than any other book in the Bible. It's one of the keys to understanding what Jeremiah, what he did and how he did it. For 39 years, 39 years, Jeremiah was faithful to God. That's a long time. Uh, I've, I've been doing this a long time, and, and I think back to uh, young men that I was in seminary with, and uh, I started seminary in 1976 and graduated the first time in 79, went back, worked on my doctorate, and got out the second time in 1986. But only about 30% of my graduating class from seminary is still in ministry. During the pandemic, there's been a big dropout rate of pastors. More pastors are getting out of ministry right now than, than, than are getting into ministry, simply because of some of the stress that's been caused due to the pandemic. A lot of the decisions that have had to be made and a lot of things that are going to change coming out of the pandemic, they haven't learned how to adapt to the culture, to some of the, uh, the changes that have had to take place. And so a lot of them do to burnout and various different things. 
is I've trained pastors across the country the last 12 years uh, at Lifeway and before that, eight, almost eight years at the Kentucky Baptist Convention. I've learned some things about how to stay in the race, how to finish well, how to keep um, from dropping out. And part of those have come right here from, from Jeremiah, some of the things that he'd learned. We live in tumultuous times. They're more unsettled than any time in my lifetime. So where do we turn for hope? Where do we turn for encouragement? Where do we get direction? Well, part of it's from right here in the first chapter of Jeremiah. I hope you'll uh, just take some of this to heart today. Because the very first paragraph in Jeremiah chapter 1 gives us some insight into how do we continue to be faithful, even in difficult and tumultuous times? And one of the things that um, encourages me is that in the first few verses, there are eight personal names. God doesn't call nations. He doesn't call cities. He does in Kentucky with counties. We identify what county we're from. God calls people. There are eight names. We are named and not numbered. Isn't that a good thing? When God thinks of you, He doesn't think of a social security number. He doesn't think of a driver's license. He doesn't think about your bank account. He he doesn't think of a number. He thinks of your name. It's a name that He calls you by. We're named and not numbered. My name recognizes that I am this person and not another person. Uh, I'm, I'm so glad that when God thinks of me, he doesn't, uh, I haven't, he doesn't reduce me to digits and letters. He calls me by name. When God speaks, he does so to individuals with names because he's a personal God. And the question that we have to keep asking ourselves is, has God spoken to us? And if He's spoken to us, then, then, then we have hope. If He hasn't spoken, He probably has spoken, we just haven't been listening. Um, I've, one of my prayers over the years is not that... that um, that I will speak to God, but that it's that God will speak to me, and that I will listen. I'll be attentive enough and, and, and sensitive enough to hear God speaking to me. Why? Because salvation is personal. It's persons, it's two persons, four, four persons. God spoke to Mary and Joseph. He, he, he's, he spoke to uh, Zechariah. He um, he, he spoke to John the Baptist. He, he, he spoke to Paul on the road uh, to Damascus when he was going to persecute the church. God speaks to people. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah. In other words, God speaks not only to people, but he speaks within the context. One of the things that's encouraged me, and I've tried to encourage the pastors that I've spoken to this last year, God wasn't surprised by the pandemic. 
God hasn't been surprised that Eastwood Baptist Church is looking for a pastor. He, he isn't sitting up there with his arms crossed and, you know, like some Buddha gazing at his navel. He, he's, uh, he's active. God's been active. And you'll see when you meet this young man that's coming in a, in a few weeks that, that not only has God been working with you to get you ready, get your hearts ready, He's also been working in his life. You'll hear some of that story. It's an amazing story of how God's uniquely prepared this young man to come and lead Eastwood at this point in time. Uh, the call of Jeremiah was, was, was not in some cultural or religious vacuum. He, he, he was called within the context of Israel having been taken into exile. Now, they were taken into exile because they were disobedient to God, and God used this exile to turn them back to him, at least a remnant of them. But it was in that, within that context that God called him in a very, very difficult time. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet because he knew what was coming, that if they did not repent, God was going to take them into Babylon. And he warned them over and over and over and over again. Jeremiah also wrote Lamentations, which is very much a, uh, a downer book. It's got uh, all kinds of, of, of angst in it. But into that context, God spoke words of hope to Jeremiah and through Jeremiah. The challenge for anyone who hears the word of the Lord and responds in faith and obedience is learning to live faith within the mores of a culture that's becoming more and more pagan. That was true in the time of Jeremiah. It's certainly true in our time. So how do we continue to be faithful? Well, we have to know this life-changing truth. I don't claim to understand all this. And I, I, don't, I don't think there's anybody that has ever fathomed the depth of what God said to Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came to me. Verse 5, I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now here's what that means to me. My parents met each other. In 1949, my father grew up in Somerset, Kentucky, and my mother grew up in, in, in a little place called Greenwood, Kentucky, in Macquarie County. They lived totally different, in totally different worlds. My father came from a fairly affluent family, uh, educated, business. My grandmother was in business, and, and uh, education was a big deal. My mother grew up in a poor family. My granddaddy ran a, ran a general store in this little town of about two or three hundred people in, in uh, Greenwood, the only, uh, the only notoriety they had was that the train stopped there uh, from coming from Somerset going to Knoxville. The train would stop there. They met, however, and fell in love. And in 1950, they got married. And, and then in 1951, I was born. It blows my mind to think that before my parents, Colleen Bryant and D.J. Garland, ever got together, I was in the mind and the heart of God. 
And if you don't, if, 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 if that doesn't just kind of make you pause, then, then you aren't really understanding this passage. Here's part of what that means. None of you are a mistake. None of you. Now, that's, we're, we're in our culture today, we're questioning that, aren't we? That God didn't, he, 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 one is you have to deny God if you begin to say, well, I, I was really intended to be a woman. I'm glad that that didn't happen. And, and women would be glad that that didn't happen. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? But just think about that. When you think of the implications that before I formed you in the womb. So part of the implication of this is that God has been involved in the birth process. And that you're not a mistake. That before Jeremiah ever got around to thinking about God... God was thinking about Jeremiah. Before this search team ever decided to talk to this young man that's coming, God already had this divine intersection laid out. You believe that? You really had to believe that. I mean, that's this passage is is in the background of. Of, 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 of the fabric of our lives if we'll allow it to be. This one truth should turn our thinking about God. It should just help define everything about us. We often think about God as an object about which we have questions. We're curious about God. We seek to find God. We make inquiries about God. We read books about God. We drop into church from time to time to see what's going on with God. We indulge in a sunset and occasionally feel a reverence for God. But that's not the reality of our lives with God. Long before I ever got around to thinking about God, He was thinking about me. Long before I was interested in God, He was interested in me. Before I was formed in my mother's womb, God knew me. There was a time in my teenage years when I argued with God about doing what I'm doing today. And that's what Jeremiah did. Jeremiah said, oh, but I'm just a youth. I don't know how to speak. God said, don't say you're only a youth because you're going to go where I'll send you. And then what he did, he said he reached out his hand And he touched my mouth and he put his words in me. Later on in Jeremiah, he'll say that he has fire in his bones. That he's got a, he he has to tell the word of the Lord. I understand that. You see, there needs to be an understanding in your life that God wants to put his words in your mouth and in your heart. He wants to speak to you and He wants to speak through you because He created you for good works. He created you to tell the good news to the world. Part of what I grapple with and I ponder from time to time is this before of my life. Now, I've been around pastors that 
Part of their problem when they come into a church with a history like Eastwood or churches that I've pastored, they have a sense that nothing happened before they got there, you know. And uh, the truth is we all enter life already going on. When I was born in 1951, the world was, I entered the world with it already happening. I already had a family. There was chaos going on in the world even then. But when I entered it, I, I, I entered the before of my life. I already, I entered the stream of history that was already happening. And part of what when I was, we went back to Henderson a couple of weeks ago, and part of what I tried to remind this young pastor about and just remind the church about is the tradition that they have, the heritage that needs to be embraced. The before of our lives is significant. You and I have a rich history of thousands of years of church history. There's a lot of folks that came before us. That's true at Eastwood Baptist Church. You wouldn't be where you are today if there weren't some people that paid a price, that were faithful. I want to be one of those, don't you? I want to be one of the faithful ones. I want to be the Jeremiah that continues in ministry and that that is faithful until he's got his last breath. That's my prayer for you. That's certainly my prayer for your new pastor that's on his way. Life is not some puzzle to be solved. Life begins with God. The fundamental mistake so many people make is they begin with themselves. That's what's going on in the culture today. We think we can define ourselves by beginning with ourselves. That, you know, I can just do, I I can be whatever I want to be. But the truth is that God is at the center from which all of life develops. If we start with ourselves, we can never plot the geometry of our lives. We can plot it, but it'll never be congruent. It'll never match. It'll never fit. The same has been true about finding a pastor. You've had to begin with God. What does God want? Not what I want. What's God doing? Where's God working? What's, where do we see God moving? And we fully believe that God has led this search team to the right person at the right time. We have worth because we were born in the mind of God before we were formed in our mother's womb. We were valuable to God before the world began because, because already... We had begun in his mind and imagination. We are the product of his creativity and love. That is something we, we can, that, that can never be taken away from us. I am me. I'm not you. I'm not anybody else. There's nobody else like me. God created me unique with a perfect plan for my life. What concerns me about the way we talk about self-worth and self-esteem today as it seems to be tied to our abilities. Some of you have told your children and your grandchildren, you can be whatever you want to be. That's a lie. That's a lie. You cannot be whatever you want to be. I remember as a kid, now 
I know this is western Kentucky country, and it's red, and that's, that's fine. But I grew up in blue country. My dad went to the University of Kentucky, and I remember listening to K. Wood Ledford when I was just a little boy, and I wanted to be, I wanted to be Louis Dampier. I wanted to shoot the ball like Louis Dampier. And I practiced and practiced and practiced, and I was never any good. When I was 13, I had to write an essay in my English class, what do you want to be when you grow up? And... Um, I had no idea, but at 13, I've still got the paper. I wanted to be Arnold Palmer. He was my hero. Golf was just coming on the scene on television. And my dad and I would watch Arnold Palmer, and then later Jack Nicklaus came, and I, I decided I was going to be a professional golfer. But what I found out was I wasn't good enough. And it didn't matter if I practiced 12 hours a day. It didn't matter whatever I did. I was never going to be Arnold Palmer. I was never going to be Louis Dampier. And that frustrated me to some degree. But then one day it dawned on me, you know, what I need to be is the best me that I can be. God created me to be who I am. I can't do everything. And when you tell your kids you can be anything you want to be, you're setting them up for failure. That's just a lie. The truth is they can be whatever God created them to be. And that's the key to finding fulfillment and the blessing of life. See, the blessing of God in my life is for me to do what I'm doing. It's to preach the Word. It's to help lead churches. It's to, to, to teach people about Jesus and and even though I went a different path for a while as an engineer God had different plans for me we need to make sure our children our grandchildren and the people that we even our own lives we need to be what God wants us to be the truth is you can't be anything you want to be but you can be everything God wants you to be there are many things I cannot do And the things I can do, I'm usually not the best at them. There's somebody going to be better at at what I think I'm good at. There's always somebody better. But they can't be a better me. I can be the best me. I can only, I'm the only one that can be the best Dan Garland. I've quit trying to be somebody else. I remember early in my ministry, I wanted to be Billy Graham. I got a big black Bible. I used to say, and God says, you know, you know. And there were certain preachers I tried to emulate. And one day I just decided, you know, why don't you just be yourself? You know, I never heard preachers use humor growing up, but God gave me a sense of humor. And all I have to do to have a sense of humor is look in the mirror. I mean, that, you know, All I got to do is remind myself, God's called me to preach. God had to have a sense of humor to call me to do what I'm doing. I just naturally like to to use humor. Not everybody can do it, but I decided one day to let God use who I am and how I am. The American culture places places extreme value on our appearance, how we look. (laughs) If you watch the commercials on television, which... We'll watch them, but I mute them, and I, I don't. I don't hear much anything that they say. But, but the the the, the American culture uh, values 
youth and beauty, athletic ability, intelligence, education, wealth, and fame. But what happens if you don't have any of that? I was with a young pastor not long ago, and, and he and his wife, and his wife asked me, who do you know, who, who, who famous do you know? And I said, I know Jesus. Well, she, she wanted to tell me all these famous people that she had met. What important pastors do you know? And she started naming people, and I had met some of those guys. Very seldom been impressed with them. A lot of the chat pastors that are these big churches, they, they, don't, they won't talk to, to, they only will talk to important people. I've been in a room with them. And they're always looking for the who's that really important guy I can talk to. What I've realized in doing, been all over this country doing training and working with pastors that some of the most The people that God speaks to, the people that God blesses, are people that never will be on a platform. They'll never be recognized in a a Southern Baptist publication. They'll never be president of the convention. But they're godly men and women who have been faithful to God. You see, um, I'm not... I've really never been interested in the accolades of man. But I am very interested in the blessing of God. Jeremiah uh, had all kinds of of, of pushback. Lord, I'm I'm just a youth. I, I don't know how to speak. Well, he wouldn't make it in a lot of the culture today. In this passage, we learn from Jeremiah that an accurate view of yourself comes from an understanding of God's view of who you are. When God told Jeremiah that he valued him and had plans to use his life, Jeremiah protested. And the Lord said, don't say that I'm only a youth. You're going to go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. God had plans for Jeremiah that Jeremiah couldn't understand. Jeremiah saw himself of having no value, but God saw him of having great value. His value was not in how he saw himself or even how others saw him. His value was in how God saw him. You may not even like like much. You, you may not seem like much in your own estimation, but it is who you are in God's eyes that matter. That kind of self-esteem that says, I'm important because I'm doing well and others look up to me is a black hole that will suck the life out of you. If your feelings of self-worth are based on how you see yourself and how others see you, then you're hooked to the wrong star. You're going to find yourself depressed and like a lot of Americans on some kind of drug. The Bible says... So God created man in his own image, and the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Your life has value because you were created in the image of God, regardless of what you're able or unable to do. Your life finds meaning only in a relationship with God in whose image you were created. 
He has a purpose and plan for your life that is different from every other person that was ever created. He told Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you. He was talking to Israel, but he was also talking to us. An accurate view of yourself comes from a humble view of who you are. Jeremiah responded out of humility, I'm only a youth. There's good news and bad news here. The bad news is you're nothing without God. The good news is that with God you are someone very, very special. That you have eternal and everlasting significance. As we grow in Christ, we turn our focus away from ourselves and we focus upon the Lord God. There will always be someone who can do what you do better. But no one can do what God has called you to do because there's no one else like you. And if you don't fulfill God's plan for your life, nobody else is going to fulfill it. So God has a plan for every one of you. And listen, it's never too late to start. You can start right now, regardless of age. Whether you're 17 or 77, whatever age you might be. We can do what God created us to do because God has made us and called us to serve Him. There's no one else like you in the whole world. God has seen to that. No one else with your particular personality and gifts. You are who you are because that's the way God created you. You have exactly the amount of potential and ability He has planned for you to have. One day, your looks will change. Hello. Right? Pastor, in his 60s, getting ready for church one morning, he was standing in front of this full-length mirror simply in his BVDs. And he said out loud, was talking to his wife, he said, when I look at myself in the mirror, my arms are flabby, my stomach is, has fallen into my chest, my knees, my legs are getting flabby, tell me something good about myself. Make me feel better about myself. She said, well, there ain't nothing wrong with your eyesight. <laughs> it doesn't take much to look around to realize that if we just value youth and physical ability and, uh, you know, all of that, we're, we're, no wonder we're a depressed nation. My goodness. But when you begin to think about what God has for you, changes your life. Your abilities will diminish. You'll not be able to think or remember as you once did. You'll lose friends. Some of you will lose a spouse. Some of you even lost a child. What then? On what will you base your self-esteem? If your self-esteem is based on your looks, your education, your youth, your intelligence, or abilities, then your self-esteem will be shattered. Only one thing will last, and that's your relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And listen, that is everlasting. And it should get sweeter and sweeter as the time goes by. My granddaughter asked her granddaddy, Granddaddy, you ever think about the hereafter? And he said, Honey, seems lately that's all I think about. The older we get, most of us think about eternity. We think about what life's going to be like on the other side. And I'm telling you, it's going to be sweet. 
Listen, there's no pandemic there. How about that? Wouldn't that be good? You're not wearing masks, but there's no mask there. We're unmasked. There's no sin there. (laughs) There's no Congress there. (laughs) Praise God. There's no Democrats and Republicans and Independents. There's just Jesus. He's the king. He's in charge. And we're on the way, aren't we? We want to help other people get on the way. So here's the deal. God has created you and chosen you to be part of his plan for eternity. But you must choose him. Some of you, I don't know what you've been waiting on. Maybe today is the day to choose to get in on God's plan. Some of you have been coming to church here for a long time, and you're waiting until you get a pastor. Well, listen, the pastor's coming. Hello, right? He's on his way. He's going to be here real quick. Why don't you just get on board today? What about that? Well, let's, let's get on board so when they come, you can vote. You, you, you get a say. Uh, when we vote on the 6th about whether or not we're going to uh, call this guy. Before Jeremiah was born, not only did God know him, but he chosen him and consecrated him to be a prophet to the nation. Consecration means to be set apart for what God is doing. What, God is, what is God doing in the world? He's saving, he's rescuing, he's blessing, he's providing, he's healing, he's enlightening. But there's a spiritual war in progress, an all-out battle for the sins of God's children. There's evil and cruelty, unhappiness and illness. There's superstition and ignorance, brutality and pain. And God is against all of it. He is for life and against death, for love and against hate, for hope and against despair, for heaven and against hell. I had a guy in one church tell me that he said he never wanted to hear the word hell again from, come from my lips. He came to me and he said, I don't believe God sends anybody to hell. And I said, I agree with that. He was a universalist. He believed everybody was going to be saved. I said, God doesn't send anybody to hell. If you go to hell, you've got to step over a bloody cross and go by an empty tomb and deny 2,000 years of church history of people's lives being transformed. God doesn't send anybody to hell. He doesn't want you to go to hell. He wants you to have heaven. And he's chosen you before the foundation of the world to be part of his kingdom forever. But you've got to choose him. He doesn't impose himself upon you. You have to choose. So the question is, have you? Have you chosen? And if you haven't, today could be the day. Let's stand to our feet as we pray together.